Progress Alberta is proud to be a part of the Harbinger Media Network. Did you know that more than 75% of Canadian news and politics podcast downloads are actually American content? Harbinger Media is here to change that. Find out more at harbingermedianetwork.com. Friends and enemies, welcome to the Progress Report. I am your host, Duncan Kinney. We're recording today here in Amiskwichiwa Skygan, otherwise known as Edmonton, Alberta. And joining us today are two folks from Calgary to talk about the uh, the defunding the police efforts that are going on down there. A lot of that work has come under the banner of uh, a new coalition called Defund to Fund. And we have uh, two members of this coalition with us to talk about this today. Uh, first up is Courtney Walcott. Um, you know, he's a, he's a member of this coalition and a teacher in Calgary. And we also have LJ Parker, who uh, was the person who got the like initial like petition going in order to start identifying supporters. So uh, Courtney and LJ, welcome to the Progress Report. Hello. Uh, thank you for having me. Yeah, same here. I appreciate being here. Yeah, I mean, we've done a lot of coverage and work on defunding and abolishing the police here in Edmonton, and it's time for Calgary to get a turn. And there's a lot of stuff going on in Calgary. So what's what's the best place to get? Why don't we why don't we start with defund to fund and like what is this group? You know, how did it come together? What are they asking for? Why don't you give us the kind of Coles notes? Yeah, definitely. Uh, defund to fund is. The thing about Calgary, right, really one, one important thing to understand about Calgary is actually just that there are so many different advocacy groups that are separate. They, we're talking people are everywhere who are passionate about change, but there wasn't a lot of unity, um, partially just because Calgary is so diverse and everyone has such very specific needs that, that wanted to be addressed. But throughout this summer, uh, people felt empowered to finally speak uh, and feel kind of safe in these the shared experience of systemic racism and when the public forum that city hall had uh the on anti anti-racism provided this like opportunity for the public to speak everyone started to hear a similar theme interactions with the police systemically are problematic and we people finally felt that they, we had we had power just to speak up to something that we didn't know we could speak up before the end result is we felt like we weren't alone. So the Defund to Fund Coalition came about by just collecting members of different groups and organizations to finally come together to fight amongst ourselves over what defund would look like within this city and present a unified front to city council. Uh, and let's see if they do something with it. And LJ, you were instrumental in in kind of getting this started too. Why don't you talk about the the petition you got going and and uh, really like how it all how it all started and got going? Yeah, so it's it's actually kind of funny because I was on your site and I went through the budget of both Calgary and Edmonton and realized Calgary gets a lot of money for the police service, and I thought it was insane. So from a taxpayer taking race out of it, I was just like, okay, people should be probably upset about this. <laughs> like their budget is almost double what public transit is. And that's not okay. Especially for the job that they're doing. Like they're doing a dangerous job, but they're not doing it great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, they have the exclusive state sanctioned violent uh, or use of violence, right? And, and uh, story after story is coming out of them abusing that, that privilege. Absolutely. And so, you know, you come together and you 
you know, you pull this petition together, these allies start coming together, and there are a lot of of protests and a lot of kind of on the streets action in Calgary over over the summertime. Yes. And and I grew up in Calgary, you know, and, and I don't remember a huge culture of of people getting in the streets of protest. This is this would you say this is new and exciting? Oh, it's very exciting for me, that's for sure. I mean, uh I moved to Calgary in 2006 and my first 5 years when I was the only things that I saw active in the street were uh well, uh, for example, the Aryan Brotherhood who when they did their down their white supremacist march uh in the just like 2008-2009 uh down, downtown Calgary, that was fascinating for me because as someone who's from Toronto, a very multicultural city coming here to seeing that that is something that had that that was even remote, because there were citizens that were even asking for that. And then 10 years of silence almost right after that, where you have Black Lives Matter happening across Canada, and Calgary's just kind of sitting there whispering along, right? Not hoping that nobody notices. So this summer, I don't exactly, like, I couldn't understand, I couldn't tell you why George Floyd sparked something amongst Calgarians that Trayvon Martin, the Philando Castiles didn't. I don't know exactly what's the difference, but it's it's good to see it's good to see finally it's good to see that people are feeling safe enough to speak it for damn sure it's good to see that uh a lot of us aren't alone in feeling the way we feel yeah um for me i lived here my entire life i spent like a little bit of time in edmonton but primarily i've been in alberta and it's weird because you're not sure about the black community or even like I live in the Northeast. And if you don't live in Calgary, it's like the most probably diverse part of the city. So it's just weird for me to see so many people of color out in one spot. I was like, holy crap, we actually live here. It's wild. And then I, I guess I'm used to seeing protests, but it's usually like little ones with like 20 people. And then like you have like a counter protester and that's about it. So like, you know, thousands of people coming together was really interesting to watch. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens months from now when it's colder, because it gets really cold here and people kind of stop doing things. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, winter protest season is always uh, a time <laughs> just to see whether uh, whether you test people's true motivations and commitment. Um, yeah, Alberta's winters will do that too. Minus twenty. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, you know, Calgary has you know several you know Black Lives Matter, George Floyd, you know, end police brutality, defund the police rallies over the over the summer, and uh, you know was was that really did that did that demonstrate to you know the police and to the city that that people actually cared about this oh man i'd say so i think it was it, i think there was a there's okay so there was a degree of shock that i that from that i had from my own experience and within my own circles uh with the amount of people that that decided to march every single time the it's so easy to brush these things off, right? If, if you have a, a, this major situation and you look outside your window and everybody's out there protesting, you actually have to take it seriously. And in the past, we've had similar things. We've had a lot of small protests and it's a similar concept in that if it's a small protest, well, you can brush it off because the numbers that are represented in that protest must represent the size of the issue. Now, we know that that's not logical. We know that that's just not how it works. People, sometimes people don't protest, maybe it's cold. Who cares? But when this happened this summer, 
and thousands of people showed up on the streets multiple times in the same week, sometimes in the middle of a work day, right, during the middle of a pandemic, and safely. I don't think anybody could turn their eyes to that. I personally, it's weird. None of my friends have marched with me. They're always like, oh, man, like, what you're dealing with is so fucked up. I'm like, okay, like, you have free days, too. Like, why don't you come down with me? But I'm not going to force anyone. So that's kind of been me with, like, just, you know, like, the BLM side, just hanging out with them for that stuff. But eh, I guess I could say I'm a little disappointed. But that's only in my circle. That's nothing to do with the city, really. Or maybe it does have something to do with the city. I suppose to give some kind of context to this, what is the one kind of like story or anecdote that you go to when you're talking to people about this, about why, you know, the Calgary Police Service needs to be defunded, needs to be abolished, however you're framing it to them? Um, you know, what is the, the thing that you point to as, as to like, this is why we're doing this? Uh, for me, it's very simple. It was uh, $400 million to 60. And people are like, oh, okay, what's the difference? And I'm like, well, $400 million is to the Calgary Police Service. $60 million was social services. And some of that was provincial funding. And they're just, it's, so if I'm, it's, it's actually just like LJ said, if I'm just a basic everyday taxpayer and I want to know what percentages of, of my dollar amount is going where, I mean, I, I know I get to choose where my dollar amount goes when I look at the school system, but when I think about that, the largest budget item in, in Calgary's uh, budget report is the Calgary Police Service, I then instantly have to ask myself about efficiency and accountability, and off the bat, I'm saying, are is this even a group that is, so, like, are they fulfilling their purpose? And I actually have loved, I've loved some of the discussions that are going about, about what is the purpose of policing? And it's, if it's about safety and reaction and all the variety of answers, courage, vigilance, pride, like whatever, whatever you want to tell me that the purpose of policing is, at the end of the day, what it really is, is about safety. And there are other ways that are just as necessary to keep people safe, i.e. low-income housing supports, early childhood education supports, uh, mental health supports, hiring more social workers, of which we're actually losing frontline workers all the time when it comes to those industries. And yet, every 19 out of 20 years, the Calgary police budget is getting, getting more money. It's, actually, it's not even personal. And it can be personal because we have those examples too. We have the Godfrey to Die, you know, the Above the Law documentary. We have those one-on-one -on -one examples. I have my personal experiences. Every person of color I know in the city has had some form of an experience to a degree of like on a spectrum of good or bad. But when at the end of the day, if you're someone who's never had a bad experience with a police officer, I would simply just point to the money. It's overwhelming. Yeah, no, I 100% I agree. I've dealt with the police, like not me personally, but I've called them about certain things. And I'm just like, okay, so you show up eight hours later or you show up a half an hour later. Like, and when you look into their clearance, like rates, they're not great. So I always say if I was doing my job 50%, I probably wouldn't be paid the amount that I'm being paid. And if what 85% of their budget is going towards salaries and stuff like that, 
maybe look at that. So that's usually how I frame it with people. I'm like, okay, so if you were doing your job perfectly, yeah, maybe I could justify that, but you're really not. So $401 million, especially when you look into what they're using all of like the extra money for outside of their salaries, it's kind of ridiculous. Like they opened Spy Hill for $25 million just this year. They've bought two new helicopters. They upgrade their cars every single year for like $8 million each. Like the money's piling up and like next year it's just a more stuff. And I just don't see where it's going to end. It's the single largest line item, right? And then, and it's totally inviolate. You know, until now, no one has ever dared to be like, hey, guys, hey, hey, uh, you know, would you mind spending a couple million dollars less? Like, no, there's no, uh, of all of the conservative fucking city councillors you have in Calgary, none of them have ever exhibited any type of uh, of downward pressure on the police budget. You know what I mean? Yeah. And for me, the huge part of it all is it's like when we want to talk about doing their job, um, half of the work that the police does is not their job. When dealing with like certain people in the community, it's, it's like you need a healthcare worker, you need social. It's not even their job, but they're they are the only front line available, and they're getting paid to do so. So instead of actually paying someone to do the job that we need, we put that money into the police pockets because. That's what we did yesterday, so why not do it tomorrow, I guess, if that's the thought process. Well, I mean, um, I, yeah. that's, that's an excellent segue, I think, because because we you know, we had our police chief up here in Edmonton say, hey, like 30% of all car, of our calls are social work calls. And I think uh, that that made its way, some version of that kind of made its way into your demands, right? Where it's like, reduce your budget by X amount because X amount isn't police work, right? What, was, what, what are, so I guess that's the, the, the follow-up question to that is, what are the demands of defund to fund? Um, well, in the original petition, I like put things more towards like, obviously social services. Like I said, I live in the Northeast. So I went through like the customer or citizen survey and I looked at like, what are people asking for in their neighborhoods? And it was like senior care, low income housing, better transit, just taking care of the road. So infrastructure, just like things like that like basic things that you think that your money should be going towards. But then, yeah, we expanded that into other social services. Right now we're trying to pin down actual like organizations that we can work with to direct them into having more funds. Yeah. And our, our dollar amount uh, was, it's not arbitrary either, actually. So we have a similar, similar number. Uh, the Calgary, like not all of the police data is very transparent, but the one this of, of the information that we do have, twenty seven percent of their calls are also social work calls. So, Kathy Fund to Fund said, "Cool, we just rounded up a little. Approximately thirty percent of their budget then should be reduced, de- or defunded, and reallocated to fields that will service those types of work." But a key concept that we discuss is actually that. If you fund certain programs, the uh, whether that be just like LJ mentioned, low-income housing, uh, crime prevention, anti-bullying programs, uh, if you fund, for example, mental health supports, by nature, you will actually see a reduction in crime anyway. So there's a huge question that goes around, how do we actually address crime? And if the only way we address crime is with reactionary forces, uh, then we know that's not going to work. 
because you're waiting for crime to happen and you're reacting to it. It's actually why the police force does so much of their community policing program. They have this concept in like ingrained into their practice. The problem is that it just shouldn't come from them. There's like no way around it. Like they should not be providing social services. We have people who should be doing that. So we just need to we need to take that off their that, that weight off of their shoulders and make sure that we have the properly trained people responding to the accurate calls, the right places. So the top level demand is is thirty percent out of the the Calgary Police Service budget, and to distribute that uh, funding to various kind of social work, social programs, social services, stuff that isn't police, and stuff that actually goes to the community. Is that fair? And a- any other kind of like key demands that people should know about? I would like SROs, so school resource officers, out of the schools because they don't do anything. Um. And actually, there's no science or studies that prove that, like, either way. So, I mean, if there's nothing that says it's good or bad, just get rid of them. Um, I can't think of the other ones right now. Courtney's probably on top of it, though. Oh, yeah, I got it. So, so one wait, here's the thing about this whole process that we really want to make clear to people is that, A, it's not our job to figure this stuff out. But as citizens, it's very important to point out that we are not being listened to or we have not been heard before. Maybe they'll listen to us now that we have the protests. Maybe they'll listen to us now that we're fighting for these things. So it's not our jobs. So it's a huge important, it's a huge important point to suggest that or and, and to remind people that we voted for city council. So our expectation of where this money is going to go to come from random civilians is a little unfair because all we're ever going to get is a bureaucratic runaround. So we have ideas, but to kind of negate that potential uh, concept is we pitched a series of suggestions, but the core one is actually to create a fund, right? That's hence the title, defund to fund, a fund in which very similar to our mental health strategy in the city, proposals will be accepted uh, so that they, and they can be funded short-term given uh, measurable outcomes and the programs that are the most successful at addressing the outcomes of reduction of crime, as well as anti-racism supports amongst our communities, those are the ones that will continue to get funding. The idea that there is just this magical organization that we can put money into um, that will solve anti-racism doesn't exist. And yet that's what people demand from us, right? They're like, tell us exactly who we have to pay for to stop being racist. And I'm like, I can't do that. But we have to start by making the money available so that these programs might come to exist. So step one leads to step two, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that does. And 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 yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, social movements and kind of activists – I think you need to have a clear set of demands, but you don't, uh, you, you know, you're not policy wonks or experts. You don't need to to have the, the 80 page PDF ready to go saying, here's step one through 60 uh, of, of how to do the thing that we want. You, you, you create your demands, you put pressure on the people who make the decisions and they, it's up to them to ultimately execute. I'd right? hope, I'd um, hope so. We, I guess that leads to my next question is, is, Sorry, so I would say I'd hope so. Yeah, I, yeah, said, I mean I, that's the that's the whole I said goal. That right? To uh, city councilors, I got some some responses, some some positive, some negative. But uh, defund to fund, when we sent our initial list of uh, demands and commentary, the mayor's response uh, was, "Yes, but where do you want the money to go?" And I was like, "Oh, am I supposed? To, I assume, I think he actually wanted me to provide the eighty-page document because otherwise, I was like, I thought this was a conversation." So, okay. So then, so you've got your demands, 
you know, you've had these series of protests. There's a couple, there's an inflection point coming up, right? There's budget deliberations are happening in November. Uh, you know, I don't necessarily want you to give away your entire strategy here, but I, I suppose what I'm curious about is how uh, is pressure going to be applied and put on city councilors and the police uh, in order uh, to kind of get, yeah, in order to make your demands come reality? Uh, you cannot approach this uh, just one way. And that's part of what this coalition was about. It was collecting a group of people that all have a variety of different skills and viewpoints and positions. So there will be, like we have, uh, there are, the Fund to Fund is hosted by projectcalgary.ca. So please go to projectcalgary.ca slash the Fund to Fund. You'll see us on the first page, sign the petition, share it. Uh, we publish uh, a series of written posts that outline who we are, what we are, what we do. And then we, we, we collect the, the signatures so that city council knows that constituents are behind us. While all the while we are likely going to see more protests coming up, one of which is actually tomorrow, uh, that is not ours specifically because truth is we don't need to organize them because people are out there organizing them on their own. And we're all on the same page. And that is probably the most scary and powerful thing for any politician to see is that there's unity in, in their opposition. Yeah, I mean, we. I mean, I think it's uh, the the comparison between Edmonton and Calgary just has to be made, right? Like, I'm in Edmonton. You know, I grew up in Calgary. Edmonton has kind of largely gone through its kind of civic process uh, to kind of deal with this anger and deal with this outpouring of 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 rage and anger and protest. And I would say that the the Edmonton City Council here was largely able to absorb it and deflect it into a pretty ultimately very minor bit of policy. Uh, it was a decrease of an increase of like $11 million in just the next budget cycle. Uh, the way that the police budget cycle works in Edmonton is that they essentially have four years of guaranteed funding that are like locked in. So this is like, it was a slight decrease of a planned increase. It's uh, it's not great. And, and, and a lot of work was put in, right? 13,000 people sent their city councilor a letter. We had 15,000 people in the streets um, and ultimately, this this was the result. And then, I mean, if I was to bring another city in for comparison here, uh, Minneapolis, for instance, uh, the, where the murder of George Floyd happened, they burned down a Minneapolis police precinct and they actually disbanded the current form of the Minneapolis police. Uh, just to be clear, I'm not advocating for the good folks of Calgary to start burning down their police stations, um, though, again, history shows that uh, it would get results. But uh, I suppose that what I'm trying to say here is like, I'm very encouraged by what's going on in Calgary. Uh, I want to see more of it. But the politicians are so slippery and they will they stay, they'll swear that they're they'll that they're they're going to do stuff that they're going to do stuff. And then when push comes to shove. You know, it, it's 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 very easy to be disappointed by politicians. What I'm trying yeah. to say, yeah. Um, it's not even just like the politicians, though. You have to think about like the police commission. These guys like write up like a document, hand it to the councilors, and they're just like, okay. I'm like, um, you're just kind of signing checks. <laughs> like you're not looking into like what they're doing, and it's out of control. So there's a lot of extra moving parts like even like the alberta government 
funding like Calgary as well and Edmonton it's just a lot of extra money and just needs to be checked out between everybody but I'm thinking honestly the police commission is like where my head is at yeah, there's the Police Act review, right, that's happening right now. That's that's the provincial legislation that is responsible for kind of like overseeing how police uh, forces work in Alberta. Yeah. I mean, I think that's an important point to think about. Yeah, every Edmonton and Calgary both have their police commissions. I got to be honest, our, our police commission up here is a giant waste of time. Like they didn't see fit to even tell us that they were buying a new tank. They like procured it in 2018. It showed up literally this summer, you know, at the height of everything. And they were like, oh, yeah, uh, we bought a tank. Surprise. <laughs> oh, my God. Thanks, police commission. <laughs> I remember seeing that. He just rolls down the street being like, isn't that? Okay. Okay, cool. We got a tank now. Yeah, that's fun. Yeah, and then it was like literally a week after the tank press conference, the priest is the, the chief is like, oh, "Okay, folks, I'm going to level with you. We are going on a serious listening tour. We are going to, we are going to really start listening and acting." And it's like, <laughs> motherfucker, you like you rolled out a tank a week ago. Well, that yeah, was kind of like the tweet with like, our on, our two new on. Hawks helicopters, and they were like, "We're fighting the war on crime." I'm like, "Oh my god, what are you doing?" This is not the time nor the place to be doing that. And I mean, in, in that, and, and in the vein of being careful about, you know, actors who are who are definitely trying to maintain the status quo, like the Calgary police chief said, uh, oh yeah, like we'll, we'll defund ourselves. And it's like, I don't think, I mean, I haven't looked into the specifics of what he's put on the table, but I would be very leery of, of what the Calgary police chief is putting yeah, out we, uh, when, I, when he said that during the, the police meeting on September 10th and in, in the document that they released, it was very interesting because I, in one hand, I was like, I appreciate that offer. And on the other, that's not what I'm asking for. I don't want you to reallocate within your budget. Although once again, sentiment received, but it's not the solution. The solution is for city council to lead, <laughs> do it. Like, create make calgary what calgary is supposed to be exactly like the people who we elected the like civilian leadership of this you know quasi-military force they need to be responsible for defunding you not yourself like a, a social worker that's hired by the by the police is a social worker that yeah. works for the police exactly you, know I mean? you are part of a system and that's what we're tackling the system i don't need the system to just be tweaked i want a full transformation. I want new things. <laughs> not old things made new. I want new things. But not new police equipment. Yes, I don't need a new helicopter. <laughs> <laughs> Although they have some very fancy drones. All right. So, uh, oh, yeah, we got a, we got 10 going on 11 drones here in Edmonton. Uh, they have a uh, it's wild. red light in their, in their police car. So I'll be driving home in my neighborhood and I'll see this like just very bright red light coming from inside of a car. And I'm very confused. And then I'll like look up and there's the drones circling the neighborhood. Jesus Christ. Okay. Well, not in that vein at all, but just, I'm just, I have no good segue here, but I, I can't t- talk to uh, a couple of folks working on this issue in Calgary and not talk about what's going on in Calgary schools uh, over the past month or so. So not only are schools this tremendously fucked up place with like COVID-19 and like 
uh, you know, infections and outbreaks and all this stuff. But like in the past month or so, the video from two different Calgary Catholic schools of, of teachers or principals using the N word, like caught on video, like, I don't know, the, the, Courtney, you, you're, you're somewhat in this world. Like, can you just kind of run down what actually happened and what uh, the response yeah. has been? So I, the truth is I can give you the public response, but the, just the way that the privacy is set up is that we don't know much and nobody knows almost anything what happens to these the principals, to the teachers, uh, for a variety of reasons. But nonetheless, we were, we're, so many people are angry, but we also have to survive off of secondhand information. Uh, but that's bureaucracy aside, right? But essentially, you got a principal in a school who overhears a group of students. So that's how I understood it. So I, I say it with a grain of salt. Uh, using the N-word, she, she walks up to him. She, she joins that conversation, and she says, uh, if you can say the N-word, why can't I? Or how come I can't say the N-word when you can't? And she actually said it. And for whatever reason, the kids recorded it. Uh, and But that's what I always get stuck with. I get stuck with these with anyone who needs, feels the need to record a situation. They they often suspect something is going to happen. So there is a whole series of contexts that is missing from this situation that all I can do is speculate. And that context is what is what you're seeing in like Bishop McNally in the sense that I have always had I've had very bad experiences with when if you get a someone who is a tradition like an old school thinker and they want to talk about the N word they say ridiculous things. So a teacher at Bishop McNally sometime in the last two years, I'm not actually sure when it happened, although the video did just go live in the last couple weeks, uh, decided that it was almost antagonizing kids, right? It was like, oh, uh, talking about uh, just like calling black licorice nigger babies and i don't know what i don't know what to do that word like that's just that's what it is and like just hear the shock and as, as a black person who dares have that conversation i've had that conversation many a time oh god like i can't i don't understand why people think they can do that it's and then for it to all happen within a school oh it just that it, it's it's heartbreaking to me it's heartbreaking um and I'm just, I'm really hoping people figure it out that, that these mo- these moments are just uh, very obvious symptoms of larger problems. Sorry. Um, I, like, the licorice conversation, I've had at my workplace. Like, arguing why it was never okay to say. And he's like, but, I mean, that's just like, and it was the same reason she gave, that it was just what they called them. I'm like, that that's not acceptable though so and especially repeating it now and then on top of it repeating it to students is really messed up there's like a weird not weird there's an obvious power imbalance so that's kind of the problem I have there on my end it was just like two colleagues talking about it and getting super irate but it's the power imbalance and that's what I really have a problem with Yeah, like like the one of the most fucked up things about this story, at least the St. Michael story, is that it was the students who were disciplined, and the the principal has actually faced no discipline at all. Apparently, from apparently according to CBC, and it's like, what? <laughs> the students who because they recorded the conversation and made it public of the principal using the N word 
it's the students who get whatever disciplined or suspended. I don't know what the exact punishment was, but that's like, that's so fucked up. Yeah. It's, uh, schools, schools are a, a unique place where you know, all these rules exist to uh, protect kids. But then there are moments like this where it, it doesn't always seem like it protected them. Right. And that's what the whole recording rule is. It's to make sure that, uh, you know, for example, kids trying to record things in, in locker rooms and change rooms don't get put online, etc. Uh, that's the idea: is to protect children. This seems like it was not in the spirit of that that rule. Yeah, exactly. And and so, but some of the reaction to this has been incredible, right? So students walked out of Bishop McNally on mass, held a rally at the school, and then marched all the way to Calgary Police Service headquarters, right? Uh yeah, and which is impressive because uh, for a speed right like i have like the fact that the, the, the nature <laughs> of that this went live and within a week um this decision was made this protest happened the walkout happened uh that it was targeted the, the, the students spoke so eloquently watching on the news i'm so proud I, I just loved what they were doing speaking for themselves i i mean that's what <laughs> that is exactly what we want uh from students is civic participation and that right there is the max level version of it that you get and I, I couldn't be happy however i did mark any anyone who left my class i marked absent but couldn't be happy. uh and i think the i mean the 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 inspiring part is the the rally and the the fact that they were that they held this demonstration and the video was incredible to watch but then the news that came out afterwards was that there was you know a car attack right that that the details are still sketchy. The are no one has been charged, I don't believe, but the allegations from the students are that a truck uh, tried to ram a bunch of students who were in the street as part of this protest. Protest, right? And this is incredibly troubling, considering that we have more than a hundred incidents like this in the United States of white supremacists using their cars as a weapon or their vehicles as a weapon against. Uh, people who are protesting against police brutality and racial yeah, injustice. That keeps happening. It it happens almost every single time we march in the streets. It's not funny, but it's kind of like, oh, okay, this is what's happening here. Sad how pessimistic you get where you, you actually, you do kind of end up finding it funny that things keep happening because it, just dark humor is the only way to survive the insanity of this. Yeah, like we had the like uplifting, you know, students in the streets, and then it was like, ah, uh, yeah. it's like just in case you forgot, for they're still out there, the crazy ones, right? It's like, yeah, you're like, oh, look, civic participation, and then you know that that Confederate flag truck has got to be honking down the street somewhere. A yellow vester is out there saying very confusing things. Someone's out there calling you the N word. It's like, don't ever forget, uh, even when everyone's on your side, you're still black. And again, I have no good segue for this one, but it is, again, a, a, a topic I definitely want to talk through with a few people. So challenge coins. I don't know if if anyone who is listening to this knows what I'm talking about when I'm talking about a challenge coin, but they are, uh, they're common amongst military and police. There are these little medallions that are used to promote team spirit. And uh, the iconography and imagery that uh, various police units in Edmonton and Calgary and across Alberta use on these challenge coins is a definite insight into how they view the world and the people they serve. And we'll have, um, we'll have a couple of, of these in the show notes um, of, of links out to what they look like, but I'll just, I'll just describe one and, uh, and why don't we uh, discuss it? So this one 
is uh <laughs> yeah uh while i'm just waiting for it to load just as a fun fact the canadian challenge coin website where i got all of the pictures and where all the pictures have been distributed from they actually were shut down today Ooh. so i don't know if they're just getting too much traffic or they realize that it that all of the like uh like punisher symbols and like thin blue line things and just like fucked up gun imagery <laughs> uh was a bad look yeah. for the po- <laughs> for the police services but I mean, uh, uh a skull um, with a bullet yeah hole so it's saving lives underneath it maybe not the best message for the calgary police service yeah it's conflicting it makes no sense i'm the punisher one bothers me because i'm pretty sure he does not want that used like that i'm pretty sure i read that but also like who like the punisher is a vigilante who kills for justice is that that is is the exact opposite of what you want to brand yourself as as a police officer i will step outside of the law to make sure that justice is served that's the the, that's the brand rule to extrajudicially murder the people I don't like. Yeah. I mean, the, the use of the Punisher symbol by police uh, is, yeah, incredibly fascist and incredibly troubling that it has become uh, just kind of like de rigueur uh, amongst this, you know, military, sorry, this this police culture mindset, right? Like, so yeah, so so my, my page won't load, but you essentially described it, right? It's, it is... It is a picture of a skull with a hold on it, with a hole in it. Uh, It says saving lives underneath it. Like it's, it's, it's a Glock saving lives etched on top of the Glock with a skull, with a bullet hole in the head, Calgary police service, I think firearm training squad. So, uh, and I, I mean, what else does, what, what else do you need to know is that the, like you want to talk basic symbolism. Uh, So saving lives through efficient killing is what i get from that right Which that is word essentially right over the background. <laughs> right. that is like what a message is like we train people and and i like you want to you want to you want to talk the truth it's like okay i actually like i feel police officers should be well like capable of handling a gun but to to brand those challenge coins with the image of a of a of a skull and a bullet hole is there's too much pride in death there. There's too much pride in death. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, we're, we we've got I've got one here from the uh, Innisfail Highway Patrol oh God. that has a couple of uh, crossed guns and a skull. I I don't understand why the Innisfail Highway Patrol has skulls and guns on their challenge coin. You know what I mean? There's one that I haven't been able. It's it was sent to me. It's got the the Highway Patrol. I don't understand like like the guns. Like unless you're actually looking for someone, I still don't think it's necessary. Yeah, you're catching people yeah. for speeding, right? Like the thing that's in his in the skull's teeth is not a knife, but a pen. <laughs> you are writing tickets, that's speeding amazing. tickets. Like, calm down, guy. You sit in a car with a fucking yeah. radar gun. 
uh, anyways, we'll have a we'll have a good, we'll have a link out to a couple of the the threads and the photos of these challenge coins. But I, I don't think we need to spend a ton of time at. But but the fact that these exist and that there are so many of them is really, I mean, evidence of police culture how fucked up police culture is and how it is mutated into this weird vigilante occupying force, right? Like at some point we are going to become, uh, at some point we're just going to have a police uh, chief or maybe even just like a police uh, association president just come out and say that like, you know, we run the town and not elected officials like this law enforcement culture, quote unquote is uh, yeah, it's tremendously scary and fucked up and, it's weird that it, it challenge coins gives you a little fucking peek yeah. in their head, but here and we are. And we may lose the RCMP to a private militia, essentially. So there's always that. Yeah, the provincial police force shit is fucked up. I mean, I don't know. We'll learn more. Yeah, I, I don't even <laughs> want to spend time thinking about that. But it's a, that's just like a long-term Alberta separatist fucking project that is just like, yeah, not great. Um, but I think we, we've got to close with something that literally came across my desk. Uh, just like half an hour before we started close before we started recording. And that is a, a news release from the Calgary police themselves saying that a Calgary police officer has been charged with domestic offenses, uh, specifically with assault and mischief to property following an alleged domestic dispute in a neighboring municipality, which is an interesting detail because uh, a lot of like cops uh, don't actually live in the <sighs> cities where they work. <laughs> Uh, there's been studies they on this in the United States work. where it's like, oh yeah, like, oh well, definitely, and and it's like it's a lot easier to just like, oh yeah, I I, I uh, to view the people you serve as kind of like this this other if you're if you live like a 45 minute commute yeah. away in like Chestermere or something, you know what I mean? Um, the chart, but the the officer that was charged has been a police officer for 13 years. He's now on administrative leave with pay uh, until his status can be properly reviewed. Uh, here's the quote here. As is often the case in domestic incidents, his name is not being released to protect the identity and privacy of the victim. Um, sure. Okay. Uh, I think I think there should be utter. I should, be, should believe there should be absolute transparency yeah. around cops who beat their partners. <laughs> I don't. I don't. Um, uh, da, 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 da. a bunch of stuff about how domestic violence is bad. Uh, anytime a member is involved in a domestic incident in Calgary, the case is also automatically investigated by a detective in the domestic conflict unit to ensure that the cases are dealt with consistently and appropriately, including making sure victims are connected to community support. So that's very uh, nice way to close that little news uh, press release from the Calgary Police Service. So, I mean, why am I talking about this one single case of a Calgary police officer that uh, that beat their partner? Well, uh, it's emblematic of a larger problem within police forces, right? Like, uh, there is a study from, I think, the early 2000s that show that 40% of police officers, you know, are uh, abuse their partners. Whether that number is high or low, you know, you can, you can disagree with the methodology. Sorry, what were you going to say there, Courtney? Yeah, right. And, and, uh, yeah, whether that whether the forty percent number is real or whether it's you know the thirty percent or twenty five percent, I don't really fucking care. Like I think there's enough evidence to show. It could be ten percent. It's problematic, right? It could be five, ten percent. If it's one percent, and you have if you have ten thousand police officers across the country, that's a huge number of people who are abusing their partners. Exactly right. Like I don't know what the average of domestic abuse amongst the general population is, but yeah, th- what it needs to be is fucking zero. Right. Like if you are a police officer that is charged with domestic assault, 
uh, you don't get to be a cop anymore. Like you get to find another job. There's like, there's nothing in the constitution that says that like you're automatically guaranteed to be a cop for life. And I cannot think of anything more disqualifying than beating your partner uh, in a domestic assault situation. Like if, if anything shows that you are unable and, and you, that you should just simply not have a gun on your hip and be uh, the one of the people responsible for administering state sanctioned violence, it's, if you beat up your your fucking domestic partner like that is just a hard red line for me and i'm curious um what you would what you two would think about a proposal i've been trying to seed everywhere which is you know any type of domestic violence you're no longer police officer banned for life kind of thing zero tolerance um and in the context that we would we would advocate for this around uh the police act being uh reviewed at the i feel like anytime they commit any crime they shouldn't be a cop anymore like drinking and driving. I'm pretty sure that one just came up a few months ago too. And like she was on paid leave as well. Like any, like you're a cop enforcing the law, but you can break the law and get paid leave. That makes no sense. Yeah. I'm, that, that's the thing that sticks out to me, actually. It's always the paid leave. Like I know for, as a teacher, I'm held to this ridiculously high standard because of uh, a common understanding of the responsibility I hold in front of my students, with which I'm actually proud to serve. If I ever do something that disqualifies me from being safe in this room, I don't think I should ever be here again. I think that's completely fair. Uh, so I would hold that same standard to police officers. But of course, you know, you know, not to be not to be that guy, but due diligence. You know, you, you do your due diligence and you make sure that there's a system in place. But if you are seeing someone who is if you are convicted of a, of a crime, you can't you can't avoid it anymore, right? The whole resign in the part of the whole aspect of resigning pending a police review and nothing being on your record as part of the police act is crazy to me. The whole being put on paid leave, I get all of my salary to sit at home and wait to find out if I'm guilty of something is not okay. I don't need, like I would you know, retroactive, right? Unpaid leave, pending result of investigation. If guilty, you get nothing. If not guilty, okay, our bad. You get your money back. I don't even care. I'm thinking out loud. But pay someone to sit at home while they're being investigated. There's just yeah. so much. Because like the understand. average person, if you commit a crime, you've been charged. If you can't pay, like post bail, any of that other stuff, like you're screwed. Like I, it the paid leave is really annoying. Because even with my job, like I've been suspended and. I didn't get paid. It sucked. Like a whole week not getting paid. It sucked. Like you learn your lesson. You won't do it again. But like what I did and assaulting someone is completely different. Like it. Yeah, it's frustrating. Yeah. And take it. Be Take it. I mean, take it, take it past domestic abuse. Right. Like the, the Godfrey to die case. Right. Like that police officer was on paid leave for years. Yeah. Right, I assume, right? Or maybe he was back on the street. God, actually, God forbid. I think he was because um, he assaulted someone else. He was, yeah. No, that's exactly yeah. He he went back on the street after uh, Godfrey to die, and that is where uh, Anthony Heffernan uh, was the was his next assault. Uh, yeah, he he slammed his head into the ground and. Uh, like it was all on camera. He was ready to be you know, charged and convicted and so on. Well, but he's he resigned. 
So there's a whole and there's a whole ongoing process that's still involved in that one. But nonetheless, the fact that he was back on the street and ended up hurting someone else is a prime example of what we're describing. All right. Well, I think this has been a very illuminating conversation. I want to thank both of you for taking the time to come on the show. Uh, Courtney and LJ, what's the best way for people to uh, follow along what Defund the Fund is doing and, and help out and add uh, their names, and their voices to the fight to defund the police in Calgary? ProjectCalgary.ca slash Defund the Fund. Defund the Fund or at Defund the Fund on both Twitter and Instagram. And you can also follow us throughout. We're social media heavy and uh, yes. hoping to get our, our voices heard more. So thanks for having us. No, yeah, this is really great. I appreciated the time. Appreciate the conversation. Um, again, yeah, the more the more boots we have on the ground in Calgary, uh, you know, we're, we try to be a, we try to cover the province. It's called you know Progress Alberta is the name of the parent organization, and so um, you know we we try to 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 broaden our our interest past just Edmonton. So again, thank you so much for coming on, um, folks. If you like this podcast and want to keep hearing more podcasts like it. Uh, there's a few things you can do to help us out. Uh, the easy uh, one is, of course, the Holy Trinity, the like, share, and subscribe. You know, word of mouth advertising is how we get the word out on this podcast. We do not buy ads on Facebook. We cannot afford billboards. So, again, um, leaving a review also really helps, too. But like, share, subscribe. You know, if you like this podcast, share it with a friend. Um, the other big thing you can do to support us is you can join the around 250 other folks who help keep this independent media project going. You can go to uh, theprogressreport.ca slash patrons, put in your credit card, whatever you can afford, five, 10, 15, God willing, $50 a month, if you can afford it, uh, and contribute that way. We would really appreciate it. Again, that URL is theprogressreport.ca slash patrons. And the link is also in the show notes. Also, if you have any notes, thoughts, comments, things you think I fucked up on, things you think I need to hear about, I'm very easy to reach. Uh, you can reach me on Twitter at Duncan Kinney, and you can reach me by email at uh, DuncanK at ProgressAlberta.ca. Thanks so much to Cosmic Family Communist for the amazing theme. Thank you for listening, and goodbye.